0: These are, as we say, nearly every day in some sort of way, these are unprecedented, unusual, crazy times, right, in this uh, pandemic that we're experiencing all around the world. And I am so, during this time, I'm so incredibly thankful uh, for the small team of people that are working incredibly hard, uh, some staff, a few volunteers that are working incredibly hard for us to be able to continue to provide this opportunity to gather together uh, for our worship service. Uh, last week, last Sunday, we had our first, uh, the first live stream of our Sunday morning worship. And now just in a, in a week's time, we find ourselves in homes with a couple of remote studios set up. And again, all of that doesn't happen uh, just with the, the snap of a finger. It takes people again who are working hard and, uh, and very skilled. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that and I'm sure you share in my appreciation. This morning, uh, I'd like to take an opportunity to share with you from Mark chapter four. And the passage that I wanna share with you is one that's, that's quite well known. You may have uh, read it or just uh, heard someone uh, talk about it prior to today. It's one that's inspired artists over the years. There have been several songs, several Christian songs that have emerged based out of this passage. There's a, there have also been some famous paintings, in fact, one of Rembrandt's most iconic paintings is his personal interpretation and representation of the passage where we find Jesus and a few of his followers caught in an, an incredibly violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. And so that's exactly the story that I want to share with you today, and so if you happen to have a Bible there with you, uh, you can turn it to Mark chapter 4. You might be watching on your phone and not able to open up your Bible app if you have used that, but no problem. As I read this passage, the verses are, are going to be on the screen. And so you can follow along with me as I do it. Again, it's Mark chapter four. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. Would you follow along? That evening, Jesus said to his followers, let's go across the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him in the boat just as he was. There were also other boats with them. A very strong wind came up on the lake. The waves came over the sides and into the boat so that it was already full of water. Jesus was at the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a cushion. His followers woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care we are drowning? Jesus stood up, commanded the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped. And it became completely calm. Jesus said to his followers, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The followers were very afraid and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that many years ago you inspired Mark to to capture this event and, and preserve it for, for all of us, for everyone that we come after. We thank you that we get this window into the life of Jesus and his followers. We thank you, Lord, that that we have this, this chance to, this morning, allow this word to change us. And that's what we pray would happen. We pray that because you are the ultimate teacher this morning, that you would take the the truth that we, that we know is that your word is, and that you would use that and use the power of your Holy Spirit to bring about not just, not just something where we know a little bit about, more about Jesus, but that you would actually change us, Lord, that you would, be, you would transform us as we gather together around your word with your people in the presence of your Holy Spirit. So God, we commit the time to you. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just be pleased um, and, and honored and glorified as we, uh, as we share together around your word. And I just uh, thank you and praise you again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we work our way through this story this morning, I'd like to simply invite you to, with me, uh, focus especially on the words that are in quotation marks, the, word, the things that people say. A couple of statements about four questions, And I think as we kind of focus on those things, we're we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the other aspects of the story as well. But as we specifically look at the things that Jesus says and his followers say, I think we'll get great insight into who he is. We'll learn more about his followers, but I think we'll also learn a little bit about ourselves. And again, I think it's also an invitation to consider uh, um, not only what what we know about this story, but how it maybe begins to to inform us about how we're dealing with things sometimes in our life that are unexpected and also things that we would not choose to experience personally. Well, the first thing that Jesus says after he's been, so in the context of this passage is Jesus has been teaching using parables and you, if you're looking at the Bible there or if you do, you'll see in Mark chapter four that Jesus has been teaching in multiple parables and after he's been done with that, that teaching session for however long that might've been, the first thing he says then after that is he says to his, his followers, hey, let's take a boat ride. Now, most of the time when we hear words like that, let's take a boat ride, that means fun. <laughs> I know for me it does. Amy and I are, are really blessed to be able to live on a lake home and uh, we have a small boat that we're able to enjoy. And when one of us, Amy says to me or I say to her or one of our friends texts us and says, hey, let's take a boat ride, that immediately is like, yes, that's fun. <laughs> it probably means the weather is nice. It means we're going to get out and kind of like relax and enjoy and decompress. Have salt, probably some food and drink. Again, hang out and see some friends that are on the water. That's just a good time. Now, I recognize completely that uh, Jesus is not inviting them to a to a uh, to like a pleasure cruise, right? He's not. This isn't like pleasure boating. This is a little bit more utilitarian. He's just saying, and his exact words were, "Hey, let's go to the other side of the lake." But I, I just found it. It struck me as ironic as as when we when we hear the words, of, uh, "Let's take a boat ride." How? We think about fun and when Jesus says this, well, we know that they're headed into something that not gonna be that fun. And so it, it almost then, as I was thinking about these, these first, this first statement of Jesus, this invita- invitation to go over, over on the other side of the lake, it got me thinking about a, a couple of uh, aspects of that. First, when Jesus said that, let's go to the other side of the lake, either he did or he didn't know what they were gonna be getting into. Either he didn't, did or didn't know that the storm was going to come. Well, scripture teaches that Jesus, being God, possesses the attributes of God, and, and one of those attributes of God is something known as omniscience, the fact that God is all-knowing. There are different representations about in the life of Jesus as we read in the Gospels, where He, he knew what people were thinking, or he knew something that was going to happen in advance. And so Jesus clearly demonstrated that attribute when he was on earth as god in the flesh he de- he clearly demonstrated that attribute of uh, being an all-knowing person omniscient person as he uh, as he walked the earth and so it would be my suggestion to you that jesus in fact did know what he was getting into he did know what was about to occur but i also as i thought about that is it also you know kind of triggered something in my in my mind as well to say this what jesus didn't say was he didn't say hey you guys go ahead and get in the boat, and I'll meet you on the other side. He didn't send them out alone, right? He got in the boat with them. He, I believe, knew exactly what they were getting into, and he knew what was about to he knew what was about to occur, and he didn't want them to experience that alone. And so he got there. He got in the boat with them. I think that's a, a maybe a small but super important takeaway for us even at the start of this talk is, God understands what we're going through and he is there with us in the middle of it. That's something so desperately important that we need to hold on to because the storm will come. The storm right now has come, right? We're experiencing that. In our story, Mark says it this way, a very strong wind came up on the lake. Now, on the Sea of Galilee, which is the body of water that that Jesus and his followers are on right now, uh, it's uh, from history. We know that strong storms are not, were not and are not unusual on that lake. And in fact, uh, there is one commentator that I was reading as I was studying uh, for this talk uh, this week. And this commentator, when he was in Israel at this, at the site uh, in, near the Sea of Galilee, he asked his Israeli tour guide if he had ever experienced a storm like this, a, a, a kind of a crazy violent storm like that. And the, and the tour guide said, I certainly have, and I never want to be, be in one like it again. And so it's clear that it was not abnormal for these kind of storms to come up on the Sea of Galilee. There are multiple ways in which in our English Bibles this storm is described. Uh, I Captured about seven or eight of them. Uh, One translation calls it a fierce windstorm, another a furious storm of wind, a great windstorm, gale force winds, huge storm, a violent windstorm, a furious squall, and a wild storm. This was not just a little bit of rain and a little bit of wind. The, 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 The Greek words that we translate into in our particular translation, again, a very strong wind, are the words... Megas lylaps. Megas lylaps. Now, you know, you may not be a, a Greek student, but you know what mega means, right? You know that. Great, huge, oversized, right? So that, that, that's clear. So that, that first word is just that, that adjective for the storm that, it is, that is one of a, a big storm, a huge storm, a, a great storm, an oversized storm. And it, the, the second word, lylops, is one that means whirlwind. It means a tempestuous storm. I found it interesting what one how one scholar described it. He said this: He said, it is never a single gust, nor a steady blowing, steadily blowing wind, however violent. Instead, he says, it's a storm breaking forth from black thunderclouds in furious gusts, with floods of rain and throwing everything topsy-turvy. As I read that, I thought, wow. <laughs> how apropos that we think and and, and talk and, and kind of like wrestle with this passage at this time that last phrase throwing everything topsy-turvy that is certainly what our lives are right now right your life has been thrown topsy-turvy so as mine so as nearly every human beings in the, in the world that, that word is, it, it, it helps us to understand the significance of what they were going through. And I hope and pray then it can help us to begin to put ourselves like in the boat with them, where what they were experiencing and experienced this mega lylops, this, this huge storm, this, this furious windstorm, this violent windstorm, this furious squall. That was very different than what we're experiencing in our lives, but it's like it in that it certainly is throwing everything topsy-turvy. So they were afraid. And can I say rightly so, many of those guys who who were on the boat, uh, some of them would would have been fishermen, likely, there were some of his followers there, who were who part of his, a part of his ministry, were fishermen. And so we can assume that some of those guys that were on the boat likely were fishermen. But they probably would have only been uh, on that lake much closer to, probably closer to the shore and closer to their home in Capernaum. And so they, they probably found themselves kind of in an in a, a unusual environment from what they had previously experienced, even as fishermen. And so uh, this this storm that they're experiencing is one that is bringing fear in their, in, in, into their hearts. And so when you when you see it, look back on that passage that in verse 38, uh, the Bible says that Jesus was at the back of the boat. <laughs> he was sleeping with his head on a cushion. And as Jesus was sleeping there, he was, he was in the back of the boat or what's known as the stern. He was uh, probably sleeping, the stern in, in that ancient boat was most likely elevated. And so we, we, he was probably sleeping on what's known as the helmsman's seat. There was a a cushion or a pillow that typically was kept under that seat. And so Jesus is using that for a pillow. We can see he's asleep during this crazy thing that's going on. And the the second phrase that we focus on of these words that are being said is a question from the disciples and what do they, from his followers. And what do they say? Don't you care? Do you even care that we're about to drown? This idea of whether or not he cares is one that we're wrestling with again in our lives right now. Does he even care? Does he care about what's going on in our world? Is God even aware of what's happening? Does he care about the fact that people are dying? Does he care about the fact that people's, you know, economic profiles are being like, destroyed it's for some people does he care about what's going on as this storm this thing that's throwing everything topsy-turvy does God even care you know I again I think that one of the one of the most valuable things for us to understand about the person of God is that he understands us absolutely and completely. He recognizes the struggles that we have when we are in times like this. He, he understands our anxiety about these different kinds of things. And so it's, it, it, and we might like to, you know, point fingers at, the, at, at, the, at Jesus' followers and, and kind of judge them for what they, what they say. But I think for many of us, when we find ourselves in something that's throwing everything topsy-turvy, when we find ourselves in the storms of life, it's a very, very natural thing for all of us to say, do you even care? Do you even even care? Well, the story continues after they ask him that question. They wake him up with it, right? The story continues by Jesus standing up, and he commands the wind, and he says to the waves, and he says two things. They're both commands. They're both imperatives. He says, hush, be still. Uh, some, Some translations say, be quiet, be still, um, one of the one of the commentators that I was reading, one of the scholars I was reading, as again as I was as I was preparing this week, said probably the best uh, interpretation or best translation of that first phrase is "be muzzled, <laughs> shut up, be quiet, be still," and immediately when Jesus does that, he the the wind stops and the lake becomes completely calm. Uh, of there's lots of times, and for those of you who are a regular part of Calvary, you've heard me say this, like there are lots of times when there are certain things that I wish I could have experienced firsthand in person. Can you imagine? Remember that this is not some small little little storm with a little bit of rain and the occasional gust of wind, right? It's throwing everything topsy, topsy-turvy. It's floods of rain. rain. It's It's furious gusts of wind. It is this furious squall that is swamping the boat. In fact, to the point where the, the the people in the boat are convinced they're going to drown, that the boat is going to go under. And when Jesus says the word, the wind stops and the lake goes like completely calm, placid. Like sometimes when I look out my window on certain days, as I'm getting up in the morning, and I look out at the lake, I... I see it and, you know, there's sometimes there's a little bit of ripple. Sometimes the wind is blowing and there's a, you know, a little uh, uh, bigger waves, Not, not big waves like you would have in an ocean, but, you know, a little bit of chop there. And there are some days where you look out and it's just like completely calm. Sometimes I think about this very story where things went from chaos to calm. In the ancient pagan world, the time in which Jesus was living there, there were stories, there were, there were people, uh, certain uh, individuals that they believed had had the power to uh, be able to subdue nature. M- most typically it was attributed to the gods, uh, but there were also in, in a rare way, a little bit more rarely, they had maybe heroes of the distant past that they felt like uh, were able to, uh, were able to have this sort of power over nature, so to speak. For Jewish people, they believe that, that the angels controlled nature, but they also believe that the, the one who ruled, uh, that one was a step above that, the one who ruled the winds and ruled the sea was God himself. In fact, there's a, there's a really interesting psalm, uh, Psalm 107, and it, it's amazing how, how close the words are to describing exactly what Jesus and his followers uh, are experiencing. The Psalm 107 is is actually a psalm of thanksgiving. In fact, the first verse of that psalm says, Give give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. When you go down in uh, verse 24 of that psalm, the psalmist says, They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths kind of get the picture exactly, right, of what was happening there in Mark 4, even though this is, uh, of course, many, many years before that experience. They mounted up to the heavens, went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They were afraid, right? They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Teacher, don't you even care? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress He stilled the storm to a whisper. The ways of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. It's clear that the Jewish people believe that the one who ruled the wind and the waves, he was God. And so, this demonstration of power over nature is a way in which Jesus is affirming to his followers that he in fact is God in the flesh. Hush be still when we think about all of that uh, sort of 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 powerful imagery that's happening here it's it's interesting that when we when we consider this this story that that really is a is a it kind of follows along really closely to almost every miracle story that's that's told in scripture you have You have this uh, setting that ties it to its its context. You have a problem. You have a solution. You have this evidence that a miracle has recurred. And then you have this response of wonder. And we have all of those things in in this story. But we have a little bit of an addition in verse 40. Because in verse 40, what we see going on is Jesus using this as an opportunity to challenge his followers. He says to them first, what? why are you afraid? What a great question that's so appropriate for us today. What scares me? Why am I afraid? Do I fear rejection? Maybe I value the approval of others a little bit too much. Do I fear going broke? Maybe I have a little bit of an unhealthy attachment to money. Maybe, maybe I love it too much. Do I fear disease? Maybe I love my health and comfort too much. Do I fear death? Why are you afraid, Jesus says. What a great question. A great question not just for those persons that were on the boat with them, but a great question for us to ask. Why are we afraid? You know, again, I I mentioned this in last week's message. Fear, when we have it, when we experience it, when we're feeling it, we don't need to be ashamed. Fear, as one, (laughs) I was reading one one, uh, author and he said this about fear. He says, fear will always knock at your door. Just don't invite it to, live, to, to come in and live with you. Don't, don't invite it to come in and stay. Fear is always there, and fear is, is not always a bad thing, right? In fact, we should let fear do its work. Fear can alert me to potential dangers, right? Fear can alert me to manage my money well. Fear can also alert me to uh, protect my loved ones, to protect my kids, But fear can't have the last word. God never desires for fear to have the last word in your life. It can't be the overarching thing that is guiding you. Don't let it have the overarching thing. And so when Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? He's asking that so that he can then transition into his next question, which is, do you still have no faith? Why did he say it that way? Do you still have no faith? Well, at this point in their lives, those followers of Jesus, they had been with him for about a year. They had walked with him, they had traveled with him, they had eaten together, they had spent a lot of time together and they had witnessed some amazing things. They had, they had probably heard the story about the fact that he had changed water into wine, his first uh, miracle at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Now they weren't there. Many, probably, maybe any of them were not there for that for that particular miracle. But they had seen multiple healings. They had, they in fact had seen multiple things. Many different people healed of many different things. In fact, one of those healings, it was the the servant of a Roman centurion. Jesus wasn't even in person. He came across on the on the road this Roman centurion who who had, who had heard of Jesus and his servant who he thought so highly of. Uh, was ill and, and so he asked Jesus if he could if, if he could heal them and Jesus was, it, it was willing to go and go to his home. He was only a short time, uh, part, uh, short distance from the Roman Centurion's home and the Roman centurion said, listen, I, I don't even know, I don't even deserve to have you you know come into my home. You know I'm a person who's in charge. I just say to someone, do this and they do it and if you just say the word, he will be made well. And Jesus is like, whoa, this guy. I, I don't know that I've seen faith like his anywhere. And that servant was made well. They saw that. They witnessed that. They saw him raise a widow's son from the dead in a town known as Nain. They saw him ta- teach with authority an unprecedented, unparalleled authority. They they witnessed him face down the religious leaders of the Jewish establishment and, dis- and demonstrate courage. They, they, they experienced all of these things. And so that's why, it's not without, it, without context, but it, that's, that's why Jesus says to them, guys, do you still have no faith? You've witnessed that you've seen who I am. You've heard what I've taught. You've seen what I can do. You've witnessed my power, so to speak. So how is it that you still have no faith? What a challenge to us. You see, that's the transition. What did I say? Fear will be there with us. There's multiple times in Scripture, in the Psalms, David says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Not if I am ever afraid, but when I am afraid, he knows he's going to be afraid. And, and, and if, if God inspired David to, to, to express that to him, and we have that captured in in, in the word of God, then certainly God understands that there are times when we're going to be afraid. So the question from Jesus is to set us up and point us toward the fact that, yes, fear will be there, but will we allow it to have the last word or will we begin to demonstrate faith? You know, I know what you might be thinking because I kind of think the same thing. Like in this story, Jesus says, hush, be still. And the wind dies down again. How does wind hear our voice, right? How does a wave respond to an imperative? But that's what happened. But that makes the story great, right? It happened, you know, they get in the boat, the storm comes, Jesus says the word and the storm is over. That doesn't always go that way in life. In fact, some of these people who are in the boat with Jesus, if we can assume that some of them were his followers that would eventually become known as his apostles, that they would be part of what's known as the 12, people like Peter and James and John. If there were some of those guys in the boat with Jesus, then all of those 12, the vast majority of them, were going to die horrific deaths later in life as they refused to stop their proclamation of Jesus as Lord. They would be martyred. They would be killed, some of them. And again, in very horrific ways. The storm sometimes doesn't go away. And I was was talking to someone this week about this passage, and I said, you know, that's an incredible miracle. Again, crazy miracle shows the power of God over nature. But I wonder if maybe even a greater miracle is for God to provide for us calmness and stillness within. When the storm is raging, maybe what what happens at times is God is able to provide for those, uh, those of us who have faith in Jesus, even though the storm may continue to rage we can have the calm in the storm. We can be people who, because of our faith in him, fear doesn't have, the last, have to have the last word, that we can exhibit. And that, this isn't something where we, we deny what's happening. We, don't, we, aren't, we aren't people who, who are not willing to empathize with people who are going through pain. We don't somehow live in some fantasy world that everything is always going to be okay. No, it's not that. It's that we have an assurance in our lives that comes only from Jesus. And he is able to bring that calm into our lives. And maybe that's the greater miracle, even something more powerful than be able to say to the wind and speak to a wave and tell it to do as he wanted it to do. That he could provide for us the stillness of heart, to walk through crisis, to walk through that time when what? Everything is being turned topsy-turvy. To walk through it in faith with confidence. Well, after this happened, when the followers of Jesus experienced all of that, the story goes on to say that they were very afraid. The followers were very afraid at the in there at the beginning of Mark uh, verse 41. And then they said to one another, and this is the, the last thing again, that's in quotes in this story. They said, who Is this? Who is this? This is possibly the most important question that any human being will ever answer. Who is he? There are lots of important questions that we'll answer, right? We wrestle with. Where will I live? Should I have kids? If I have kids, how many? Where should I go to school? Who should I marry? How should I invest my money? What should should my career path be? This thing has been in the fridge for a while. Should I eat it? (laughs) There's, There's lots of questions that we have to answer in life. You're answering some, you've already answered some today. You'll answer a lot the rest of this week and the rest of your life. But there's no more important question that any of us will ever answer, then who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him, they say. It's an amazing story. Not just, doesn't just have context and meaning for the lives of Jesus' followers who experienced it firsthand. I believe it has context and meaning for us today. And I think that that reality for us, that it does have meaning for us today, is why we're here. It's why I'm here. Because I believe God is saying something to all of us in light of this story and in light of what we're facing. A man by the name of Lamar Williamson uh, wrote a commentary on Mark. And I thought that what he said in that commentary was important for us to hear. And so I want to read you just a portion of what he says about the significance of this story for today. He says, this text is also significant for individuals and individual believers in Jesus, individuals of all sorts. In times of tumult and grave danger, a natural human reaction is to wonder whether or not there is a God And if so, whether God is even aware of my problem. We cry out to God in the midst of our storms, don't you care? We try to wake God up to take care of us. At such times, this text speaks to our condition. It pictures Jesus in the boat with his disciples, present with us and concerned for us even when we do not perceive his care. this reality, these words, this story, I believe, just as Williamson says, that they may stimulate or reinforce the experience of us. As we sit quietly before this passage, as we experience it and chew on it and think about it, we suddenly find Jesus. He says, we find Jesus speaking to the storm outside but he also addresses the storm within us and he says peace be still over the heads of his first disciples Jesus says to us as well why are you afraid can you not trust can you not yet trust the God you see in me the word to the storm becomes for us a voice from the whirlwind and it says to us, who is this? Who is this? I don't know where you might be in your journey with Christ. Some of you watching today have received Jesus as savior and have been walking with him in relationship for a while, for a long time maybe. Others for maybe a short time, and there might be some of you sitting here today who are not walking with him personally right now at all. And I would just, I would just like to encourage you to consider that this Jesus, this Jesus is the one who understands we're in this time of crisis and understands everything about the human experience in times of all crisis and he is inviting you into relationship with himself. One of the things that Jesus did as he developed his and his followers was he had this incredible interplay between invitation and challenge, invitation to relationship, invitation to be with him. That's why he got in the boat with them, and he didn't just send them to the other side to deal with it on their own. But at the same time that he is, is inviting them in and walking, welcoming them into his life and wants to be there with them in relationship. He's also challenging them. So he's there in the boat with them. He's present with them, but he's challenging them, causing them to think about things, inviting them and challenging them into a, into a, into a new way of, of looking at life and, and a new way of considering what's most important. So he doesn't, he's not only just exhibiting his presence, but he's challenging them to spiritual growth. He's challenging them to become something that they never even thought they could. And that's why he says, why are you afraid? That's why he says, Don't you, do not you still have no faith? So in the same way, Jesus is doing that this morning for each of us. He wants us to know that he is here with us. He desires to be in relationship with you. And he also wants to challenge you to grow deeper in your faith as a result of the storms in your life. Whether whether those storms are stilled, and that is an amazing, gracious act that God often often does for us. Or whether his miracle working act is to quiet our heart. He's challenging us in our spiritual growth. He's challenging us to become people Beyond what we could dream. And so this morning, as we think about this story and how it applies to our lives. Where is your faith? What freaks you out? Why are you afraid right now? Could it be that this person, Jesus, is the answer for life? Could it be that he's exactly who he said he was? I encourage you to just in these next couple of moments, to bow your heads with me and to consider offering your life completely and fully over to the Lord in faith. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we are afraid. There's. There's probably diff- certainly different levels of fear and anxiety that we're all experiencing. Maybe no two of us are experiencing this crisis in our lives in the exact same way. But fear, anxiety, worry, it's, it's, it's kind of part of where we're at right now. Father, don't allow fear, our fear to be the end game. We want to surrender that fear over to you. We want to receive by faith the life that you have for us. We want to walk in that faith through difficult times. I pray, God, for the person who might be listening to my voice, watching me right now that maybe doesn't have a relationship with you. And I pray for them that they would be able to simply humble themselves before you and answer that question, who is Jesus, that he is Lord and receive that truth by faith, giving them new life in him. Thank you, God, for, again, this opportunity to be changed by the power of your word. We give you all the praise and honor and all the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. because we believe that scripture is true, that Jesus is the way, that he is the Savior, that he is the Son of God who died for our sin. Different times in our regular church life, about once a month, we take what's known as Holy Communion. And uh, if you uh, saw the video that I sent out earlier this week, uh, you know that we were preparing, we were going to be observing communion today. And so we asked you to prepare a little bit for that. Um, Now, if you just kind of hopped in online, you're not you know, uh, maybe a regular part of the Calvary community just hopped on the worship into this live stream, no problem, no worries. Don't worry about it if you don't have uh, the exact elements, you know, a a little piece of uh, a communion wafer or a cup of grape juice, just use whatever you have on hand in your homes. And what's gonna happen is we're gonna have about a four minute worship song that's led by our worship team. And during that time, uh, you're gonna see a passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians 11 on your screen. And we invite you to simply for all of you who have received Jesus as Savior, uh, you don't certainly you don't have to be a, a part of the, of the Calvary Churches. anyone who's watching right now, whether you're watching here on Sunday morning or later in the week, we invite you to get something that you can use uh, for bread. And we ask you to get something that you can use from juice. Those uh, elements uh, represent the body of our Lord, Jesus in the flesh and the, his shed blood which cleanses us from our sin. And so simply with you, uh, you yourself, if you're watching alone or with a family member, uh, you can serve each other. If you are, if you're in a group, again, your family, if you have to serve yourself, you just remind yourself, this is the body of Christ. As you hold that, whatever you're using to represent that body, uh, you just affirm this is the body of Christ. And if you're with others, you can serve them. And as you do with the Again, the juice or the water or whatever uh, liquid you're using uh, to represent the blood of Christ, you affirm this is the blood of Christ, and then uh, you drink together. So you eat together and you drink together. Again, I recognize this is much different than how uh, we would typically typically do communion, but it's okay. Just do it right there in your homes. And uh, as that worship song is playing, we're going to put the first couple of verses up uh, from uh, from the passage we want, and you'll be able to eat the bread. And then you'll have the next two verses come up. You'll be able to drink the cup. And then there'll be a little bit of a time for you to, uh, to pray and uh, wrap up. And then our worship team will come back and they'll have a closing song for us. Okay, guys, thanks so much again for allowing me to be with you. Uh, I'm so glad that you are with me here this morning. And we pray that uh, what, what we've done together has been an encouragement for you to put your faith in Jesus. And uh if there's ever anything uh, that I can do moving forward, please remember that, uh, that we here at Calvary, your staff, uh, your leadership is available to you uh, to help at all times, but certainly at this particular particularly chaotic time we, in which we find ourselves. Thanks again so much for joining us. I'm going to pray to kind of lead you into your time of observing communion in your home. And uh, then I'm sure we'll see you online at some point in the next few days. Take care. Let's pray. Father God, as people prepare to receive uh, communion in their homes, I just pray that they would, again, sense your presence in this moment. And they would uh, recognize the incredible gift that is Jesus, God in the flesh. And the incredible work that is in done in his shedding of his own blood that we might receive forgiveness for our sin and be reestablished in relationship with you. I pray that as they eat and drink, that it would be meaningful, that there would be, Lord, uh, just a, a divine presence in their homes uh, as they do this, and that, Lord, that they would just receive great encouragement and, um, in, in, in observing this remembrance. And we pray all of these things and the one who came for us, and the one who died for us, Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.